Last week we started um, looking at the letter of Philippians, and we're going to continue today. I am on a, a search. Um, I guess you might say it's kind of like a treasure hunt. Um, I'm, I'm on a treasure hunt for joy, and that sounds... I don't mean that to sound as cheesy and corny as it, as it comes, even saying it out loud, that sounds corny. But I really am. Um, I'm not searching for happiness. I'm searching for joy. And I don't know where you are at. I know where some of you are at in life and some of the things that you're breaking through. For my own life, I can say this. I, I think that I personally have lost some of my joy. And of course, it's, it's COVID, and it's, you know, whatever. It's stuff that happened in my home church that some of you know about um, back in South Dakota. It's, it's just a lot of stuff. You know, it's medical stuff that goes on. And somewhere along the way, um, some of my joy is not what it was before. So I, I, when I say that, you know, we were going into Philippians, you know, it's because I want to find the joy of the Lord again, fully. And so maybe you're just kind of along for the ride as I'm searching for that. And I have a feeling that I'm not the only one that is somewhat different than before COVID. And I don't think we're going to be the same. I don't think that the, the normal that was before is not going to be the normal that will be again. And yet I know, and I have faith in the Lord Jesus, and I know that there is joy to be found if we will but search and draw close to Him. That's what I want to do in Philippians. And I hope that you will search with me. Will you, will you hunt for joy? Will you search diligently with me as we try to find what Paul has for us? And of course, what Jesus what God, the Holy Spirit, has inspired Paul to write to this church, and then we can understand also. Well, last week when we started, we only got through two verses. Somebody made fun of me about that. It's a typical series of Pastor Jason. They got through two verses. My heart was hurt by that wound. It was great. Well, last week we ended with what I think is the beginning of the search for joy. And it's a bit surprising, and through only two verses, through just two little verses, how can we even know? But I think that the beginning of joy is humility. Joy begins with humility. Now we're going to open up Philippians, and we're going to see what else the Lord has for us today. Pray with me, would you? Lord God, as we open up your scriptures, it's with a sense of expectation, but also with a sense of knowing we can't do this, we can't read and understand and gain from Scripture anything without you, Holy Spirit, inspiring not only the, the writing of this word, but also the reading of this word. God, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you here in us, between these pages, in our ears, and then into our heart and our mind. We need you, Holy Spirit, to inspire us today. We invite you here. Amen. 
Letters are unique documents. And I'm not just talking about biblical letters, I'm talking about any letter that you would write. Letters have unique characteristics, don't they, as you compare them to other types of documents. And there are, there are many, many types of documents. I mean, think about it. There's books. There's magazine articles. There's, there's newspaper articles. There's grocery lists. There are love letters. Love notes. Right? There's all different kinds of written documents. But letters have some unique characteristics that the other documents do not have. Letters are, are a special kind of document, and there's kind of a technical word. It's not that technical, but it sounds technical. They, they are, letters are occasional documents. Now that sounds fancy, but occasional documents, um, it's very important that you understand what occasional documents are, what letters are, before you just jump in to a letter like Philippians. So, and letter, you might have heard a fancy word, it's kind of a churchy word, it's called epistles. That sounds like a fancy word. It, it's not meant to be fancy. Epistles are simply letters that became part of the New Testament. So they are New Testament books, the 27 books of the New Testament. But the ones that are letters, like Philippians, we call them epistles. So epistles are simply the books of the New Testament that are letters. All right, so I want to read something from... Um, the, the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, that kind of explains this idea of epistles, or New Testament letters, as occasions. So here's a little paragraph. There's one item that all of the epistles have in common. And this is the crucial item to note in reading and interpreting them. They are all what are technically called occasional documents i.e. arising out of intended arising out of and intended for a specific occasion and they are all from the first century although inspired by the holy spirit and thus belonging to all time they were first written out of the context of the author and to the context of the original recipients it is precisely these factors that they are occasional and that they belong to the first century that make their interpretation difficult at times. Above all else, their occasional nature must be taken seriously. This means that they were occasioned or called forth by some specific circumstance. Now, I'm going to venture out on a limb here. Most of you, when you've read Philippians or 1 Corinthians or Colossians or Galatians, most of you, when you've read those throughout your life, have probably not considered what I just said. But that doesn't mean you're bad or you've been wrong your whole life. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there is, there is a depth of understanding to these documents which can be found simply by recognizing what these documents are. Okay? They are letters. So if I could just put the Bible to the side for a second and just explain what occasional documents mean. Let's say I want to write a letter, okay? So I want to write a letter, and let's say I want to write a letter to, I don't know, Kim. I want to write a letter to you. So this is Kim Waldorf, everybody. Kim's here, and she's visiting from everybody. You know, now you know Kim. Hi, Kim. 
So let's say I want to write a letter to Kim in the Twin Cities, and I want to write a letter that explains something about, uh, I, I, I saw a camp and I want to explain it to her. So let's say that, because Kim works with the camp and stuff, and, and I want to write her a letter and say that there's something at camp, maybe I saw a crocodile in the lake. There are no crocodiles in the lake at camp. Okay? But that's a safety concern, that there's crocodiles in the lake. So, I would write a letter and I'd say, okay, here's the date of the letter, and I'm going to say, you know, hey, this is, you know, Jason Canal on the top, and I'm going to say, uh, Kim Waldruff, and I'm going to say, you know, hi, Kim, it's so great that you're working at camp and you're volunteering, and I think it's great, and we're in this together because Jesus is our Lord, and we're in this together, right? But I'm writing this letter because I need you to know a safety concern about camp. I saw a crocodile, and I'm concerned about our children getting attacked by this crocodile at camp. And so I just wanted you to know that I'm concerned about that. I'm willing to help pay money to bring a crocodile exterminator to Camp Arrowhead. Okay? So I'm willing to put $500 toward this. And, and Kim, you, if you could just, because you're on Camp Cobb and you work with Camp Cobb. So if you could help with that, that would be great. Sincerely and in Christ, your brother in Christ, Pastor Jason Cobb. All right. That's a letter I might write to Kim. Again, there's no crocodiles. I don't even know, I mean, I think the crappies might tickle your toes. That's about as much as it gets. What's the occasion of the letter I wrote to Kim? There's a crocodile in the lake. So there's an occasion. The occasion is that there is a, there's a threat to Camp Arrowhead and the safety of our children. And so in, in the spirit of mutual cooperation under Jesus Christ as we work at camp together, I want to let Kim know that not only is there something concerning there, but I want to be part of the solution. Right? So, the, but the occasion of the letter, the reason why I wrote the letter was because of a safety concern I had at camp. Now, this is what I want you to get. The epistles of the New Testament are occasional documents. There is a reason why every one of the letters of the New Testament was written. And that reason is from a New Testament writer to a New Testament audience, sometimes a church, sometimes an individual, but always with a reason why. Now, here's the thing that we sometimes skip when we read these documents, because the, you know, for some people, the Bible is just like this flat thing. It's just the Bible, you can read all the same. I think that is a grave mistake. You don't just read it all the same. There are differences, and the difference we're talking about today in letters is, in order to truly understand a letter of the New Testament, you must come to understand the occasion that caused the letter to be written and sent in the first place. If you can understand the occasion of the letter, you can understand in a much greater way what's in the letter and why it's in the letter. Alright, so that's a lot, and maybe you've never heard that before and it might sound odd to you. That's okay. I, I'm suggesting to you that there is a depth to these epistles of the New Testament that maybe you've never considered before. It's worth thinking about this. They are letters. They are occasional documents. The more you grapple with figuring out the occasion the more depth of understanding you will have about what the letter meant to the original people 
so that you can understand the next step, of course, and the step that matters is to understand how that message to the first century church in Philippi can apply to us 2,000 years later. Do you see that? The problem is we, we oftentimes skip that first step. We skip that first step of understanding the context of understanding why the letter was written. And then we can still get helpful things from Scripture, but like we miss the depth of it, and we, we also risk the possibility of misunderstanding the letter completely because we miss the occasion. Does that make sense? I think as you read the epistles, it's so important that, I, that you, you are reminded of this. And I've said this before, but maybe you've never heard it, and that's okay. I'm suggesting that there is a depth to Scripture. Okay, so, I want to keep this in front of us. What is the occasion? And as you read the letters of the New Testament, you know, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, all of those are letters, right? Always be looking for, and in the back of your mind, the question to be asking always is, what caused this letter to be written? That will, just that one little thing, will increase your understanding, and I think it will build you up in your understanding of what God is saying to us today. Alright, so let's go into the letter now. If you turn to Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 3 through 8, and we're just going to kind of go through this and see what the Lord has for us. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how, long, how, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Well, one thing you should recognize right away is it's obvious Paul loves these people. He loves them. And as I mentioned last week to you, I'm not going to rehash everything I said last week, but this little church in, in the Greek city of Philippi, a Greek, a very Roman city, this little group of believers, Paul had started this church by preaching the gospel at a, at a women's prayer group outside the city. And then he went in prison and, and God opened the doors of the prison and the jailer was converted to believing in Christ. And so, and there was like this slave girl that was, was like basically speaking prophecy in the name of a demon that Paul cast the demon out of her and she very likely was part of this group. These, this ragtag group of people that Paul just loved. He just loved Do you hear in what I just read how they also love him? Because they have been partnering with Paul in the gospel. And not just a little bit. Like from the very first, they have been partnering with Paul. And Paul is recognizing their consistent support of him as he has been traveling and sharing the good news. And he also recognizes that their support is a tangible demonstration of how God is at work in their lives. And notice, joy. Joy. I always pray with joy 
Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's a connection here between their partnership with Paul in the gospel and Paul's joy. That's interesting. That word partnership, if this is one thing where if, if you can kind of see the Greek, it's helpful. Because the word partnership is a word that you actually know. This is a Greek word you know. The word partnership here is, is a word that you've heard before. In fact, I preached a whole sermon on just this one word less than a year ago. That word partnership is koinonia. Now, we usually translate that word as fellowship. Now, I think it's interesting because it's a churchy word, fellowship, koinonia. That's, it was my churchy word series. Because when, when we in the church think of the word fellowship, we usually think of sitting around a table, drinking coffee, and possibly eating a small bar. Right? That's what we think of as fellowship. Paul is suggesting, actually more than suggesting, that fellowship is more than just sitting around a table and convincing. Fellowship is about partnership in the gospel. About partnership and moving. What's the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news. There is something about working together to share about Jesus to others that becomes a partnership that causes joy. And if you don't believe me, let me suggest something to you. Release time teachers have joy. And it's not because the kids are perfectly well behaved. In fact, that is the opposite of what usually happens at release time. At least that's been my experience. But there is something that happens when release time teachers sit around that table right out there and drink coffee together for 15 minutes before the students arrive. You know what that something is? It's called the joy that happens when there's partnership in the furtherment of the gospel. And that is called koinonia. Christians, if you want more joy in your life, I've got a surefire method. Partner with another Christian in the furthering of the gospel. Amen. That is a surefire way at joy. And you know what's really hard? See, the devil knows that that's going to cause us joy. So he puts little things in our brain like, do I really want to give up an hour on Wednesday afternoon? Or he'll put another little thing in our brain like, oh, I'm, out, I'm too out of touch with those kids. I probably, I'm probably too old to do that. Or he'll put another little thing in our brain like, oh, it's just, I mean, oh, I don't know. Mike Wants is going to be there. He really annoys me. I mean, something like that. Something like that will be put in your brain. Those are, those are things that you are to take captive those thoughts to Christ. And when those little thoughts come in your brain, you take that thought captive, and then you say this. The koinonia of Jesus Christ will cause me joy if I do this. Philippians chapter 1. I'm on a search for joy. Are you? I'm on a search to find the joy of the Lord that I feel like has somehow either been stolen or I have let go of through COVID. I'm telling you, when you go help at the food shelf, there's joy. And the joy happens between the people you're helping with and with the people you're serving. I might go so far as to say there's occasionally joy in the Board of Trustees. There's occasional moments of joy 
I'm the board of trustees. All you current and former board of trustees members are like, eh. <laughs> Occasionally it happens. Occasionally. Yes, there is. There are moments, there are good things that happen when we partner together. Partnership is koinonia. And koinonia is more than small talk and bars. That word gospel, good news, koinonia, fellowship, partnership, they go together. And you know what else goes together with that? Joy. This is good stuff. So, remember the question we're trying to answer today, which we should answer in all letters. Why did Paul write this letter? Well, here's a clue. A clue I've just read to you. The Philippians were partners with Paul in Paul's ministry to spread the gospel. One of the reasons he wrote this letter was to let them know how much he appreciated the partnership. That's a reason to write a letter. Is it not? Now, I don't think it's the only reason, but it's one. Are you looking for the clues? I, when you read the epistles, I want you to be looking for these things. I want you to be constantly asking, why did Paul write that to these people at, the, at that time? One of the reasons was because they were partnering with him. Oh, and there's something else that I want to just, this is fun. Because you don't see this in the English, but it's so vital. Look again at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Okay, so first of all, there's a clue here about why Paul wrote the letter. Do you see it? Just a little clue. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. Paul is alluding to his circumstances. Hmm, it's a clue. Why might Paul be writing this letter to the Philippians, but then he mentions this? Just hold that in your brain for a second, okay? We're going to get back to that in just a second. But look again at this right there, okay? All of you share in God's grace with me. Here's what you don't see in English that's so amazing. So, What's the word for fellowship and partnership? Koinonia. The word share right there is the Greek word syn, S-Y-N, koinonia. It's a cognate or a, another sort of way of saying the same word. Share is syn koinonia. It's like synergy, S-Y-N, working together, that synergy, sin koinonia, S-Y-N, is together, togetherness, together partnership. See that? It's like, it's like doubling down on the partnership. It's like doubling down on the fellowship. And look, all of you share, so you double down on the partnership when you share it with me in helping me and supporting me share the gospel, then it flips back around on you and we double down on the partnership of you receiving God's grace. Just think about that. When, when we support others in the ministry of the gospel of Christ, we double down on the reception of God's grace through that partnership. Now, any of you that supported the missionary know that to be true. When you support a missionary, when you support the camp, when you support LAPS, right? 
partnership of fellowship, a partnership in the gospel, and the, the doubling down of that partnership is the reception of God's grace back. You don't see that in the English, which I think is a bummer. Right? I mean, it's kind of there, like all of you shared God's grace. Like, it's kind of there, but when you realize it's the same word, just emphasized, that's more. That's, that's, it's like, wow, this is so exciting. Like, the grace of God is released in your life when you partner with other Christians who are moving the gospel forward. This is turning into a tithing sermon. I didn't mean for that to happen. But do you see why you would give? Why you would partner with LAPS, with Team Challenge, with, with Camp Arrowhead, with our, our ministry here in Bertha? Do you see why? Because there is, and this is not a wealth and prosperity message, okay, just to be clear. The blessing of the Lord doesn't mean your bank account's going to. It means you will find the joy of the Lord in your life. This is good stuff. Alright, verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. God can testify how, long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Again, what's the question we're trying to answer? Why did Paul write this letter? Can I suggest to you there's a really good clue to why Paul wrote this letter, and it's a really good reason to write a letter. I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again. He loved Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians just as one of the main reasons. Because he just loved them. He wanted them to know. But this is a great reason to write a letter. When's the last time you wrote a letter to communicate how much you love someone? For me, it's been a long time because it seems cumbersome. Right? Well, I'll, I'll just tell them. Or I'll just send them a text. Right? Okay, th those are good. Right? When's the last time you penned a letter for the purpose of the occasion of saying how much you love? It's a reason why Paul wrote this letter. Well, okay, let's move on. Look at verses 9 through 11. Okay? And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Wow! My guess is you've read Philippians in your life probably numerous times. But I want to just pause for a moment and I want you to recognize the power of this prayer. Because Paul, you see, he was thanking God for the partnership of the Philippians with him. And now he's moved from thanking God to praying for the Philippians themselves. And he prays for them as a pastor. prays for his flock. I want to do something right now because I, I want you somehow to grasp what Paul is doing here. I am your pastor. You are my flock. I want you to experience what the Philippians experienced. Lord, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depths of insight. Because I want my people right here in Bertha 
I want them to be able to discern what is best. I want them to be able to understand and have a depth of knowledge and insight about what is pure and blameless. I want them to be ready. I want you to be ready for Christ to come back. Lord, I ask that you would fill these people with the fruit of righteousness that can only come through Jesus Christ. Oh God, I pray that in every way you would lift them up, expand their minds, expand their heart, expand their reach, and may they know that it's all for the glory and praise of God. Amen. Do you want your pastor praying that prayer for you? Do you, do you understand how what that is? I mean, those are just words, but there's incredible power in that prayer. And by the way, I so desire that for you. That your knowledge and depth of insight would just expand exponentially as you come to terms with the blessing and the purity and the power of Jesus Christ in your life. That you would live victorious. I desire that for you. But my question to you, when somebody prays for you, do you know what goes through your mind? I don't know if this went through your mind, but think about it. Do you want that? Do you want your love to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight? Do you actually want that? Do you want to be able to discern what is best? Do you want to discern what is best? Or do you want to not discern what is best? Because that's a real question. I really think there are lots of people that don't actually want to discern what is best. I think what they really actually want to do is stay in their little corner. Maybe that's for me too. So I'm really asking you, do you actually want access to the knowledge that God will give you? To the depth of insight that God will give you? To actually discern what is best? I would say that during COVID, I don't care what side of the debate you landed on, I'm not sure anybody was actually wanting to discern what was best. Right? Me included. Humility is the first step to joy. Like, was I there too? I, I'm putting myself in where you guys are too. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to discover the joy of the Lord. I want the joy of the Lord to be released in me, and that means humility and actually wanting this prayer in my life. Do you want to be found pure and blameless until the day of Christ? <laughs> That's a big question. Do you want to be found pure and blameless? We just said that communion is not just about remembering what Christ did, but anticipating what he's going to do. And here again, we have Paul saying, do you want to be found blameless on that day? You celebrate communion and you say, we say that we anticipate Christ coming. But do you understand what that means? Anticipating Christ coming means you want to be found blameless and pure on that day. Right? Yikes! This is not some small prayer that Paul's praying. Do you want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus? Sometimes I think we're happy. This is, this is important in this part. Sometimes I think we're happy if God would just give us victory while we sit on the recliner. 
I think sometimes that's our prayer. Lord God, I want to bond more and more in knowledge and depth of insight of you. I want to discern what is best. And then we sit back as if we're like, okay, this is a reference that some of you may not get, but it's a perfect reference. I have to use it. Like, we somehow think we're in the matrix and we can just plug in, and now I can fly a helicopter. Right? God, please, give me discernment. And then we plug in, and we're like, I know Kung Fu. Right? I mean, hello? It doesn't work that way. Have you noticed that that's how we pray, though? Lord, please. Oh, I, I want to excel in knowledge and depth of insight. And now I'm just going to be on TikTok for the next six hours. Yeah. You know what you're not going to gain by watching TikTok for six hours? The knowledge and depth of insight of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what you will... Oh, if you don't like that reference, do you know what you're not going to gain by watching CNN for six hours? I'm just going to balance this out. Do you know what you're not going to gain by watching Fox News for six hours? You are not going to gain knowledge and depth of insight of the Lord such that you can discern what is best and be pure and blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know where you will find that? Crazy! And partnering together with other believers in the furtherment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how you implement this prayer. We are not just... You, you don't just get to pray and then sit in the recliner. And I'm not talking about your work. I'm not talking about working for salvation. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying effort is involved in holiness. Somebody say amen. amen. Do you really mean that amen? I don't know if you do. Because this isn't just like, okay God, I'm ready to receive the knowledge of the Lord. Oh, I wonder what's, uh, I wonder what's for supper. I wish this pastor would hurry up. I got something in the oven. I got to get going here. Right? You guys, do you really want this prayer? Do you really want joy? Are you really searching for joy as a treasure? Because searching for treasure takes work. You got to get a shovel. You got to go dig somewhere. Like, this isn't just a handout. Right? I mean, you got, are you tracking with me? That's good stuff. Verses 12 through 14, and then we'll be done shortly. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Hey, Paul just mentioned something about whether he's in chains or whether he's not, right? Now what? He is in chains. Paul wrote this letter. And remember, what are we looking for? The reason why Paul wrote this letter. He wrote this letter while chained in prison. Paul wrote this letter that we talk about as the letter of joy while chained in prison. So what is he doing in this letter? Well, let's just reconstruct this, okay? Paul is writing this letter from prison because he wants to give the people that love him 
an update on how he's doing. This is a letter from prison of Paul saying to people that love him how he's doing in prison. Because they love him. And we know they love him. And we, this partnership in the gospel, we're going to find out later, Philippians, like this partnership wasn't just, I'll pray for you, right? It was like, I'll pray for you, and then I will send you stuff to help you survive prison. Like, it was like tangible koinonia. It wasn't just that, you know, prayer hands emoji. I hate prayer hands emoji. I mean, I don't hate it, okay? It's nice and everything. But it's like, oh, uh, you know, something happened to prayer hands emoji. Jim Gaffigan's got a really funny prayer hands emoji. That's a different thing. All right, so... Like, prayer hands emoji is nice and good. It needs to be followed up with tangible and how can I help? Right? Now, why did Paul write this letter? Because he's in prison. He wants to update his people that love him about what's happening in prison. And I want you to just soak this in for a second. If you were in prison, okay, what would your letter home be? Because I think I know what mine would be. Mine would be this. The food here is terrible. Please send prime rib ASAP. Right? I would send, and my pillow is too flat, and the bed is lumpy, and the person next to me is just a totally rude jerk. Please send my Bose noise canceling headphones. And if you could please, please send me a shower curtain because the toilet's in the middle. And please send me some really, I need some Charmin. This, this county toilet paper is rough. I need some Charmin and probably those huggy wipes with the, with the aloe and the, and the shea butter. I need those wipes. I am suffering, people. Okay? That's what I need from you. And if I ever am in prison, expect a letter like that from me. All right? That's what I would say in the occasional document that would be the letter from prison for me. Is what would you say? Right? I would also say something like, I am being unjustly treated. Right? I shouldn't be... This is assuming I haven't actually done something. Okay, so I'm assuming I haven't actually done something. Okay, so I am being unjustly persecuted. Right? Send a lawyer. I need a lawyer. Hire some great lawyer. There's a book in my desk that all the Christian lawyers in Minnesota send me a lawyer. Like, let's get out of jail. Somebody post some bond. Right? I need I need $10,000. Just send 10000 Can you? What would your letter be? Right? Let's look at what Paul says next. Look at verse 15 through 18. This is crazy. This is crazy. Because I, I would be thinking to send that letter. Look what Paul says. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. What? The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. I'm going to stop right there. You can read the next section, but just listen to this. Paul's in prison. And there are fellow Christians in the town where he is in prison that are making his life miserable. These aren't Romans. 
These are people who are preaching Christ. There are people in this town where he is in prison. By the way, it, most people think it's Rome, but there is a pretty good reason to believe it. he was in prison in Ephesus at this time. But there were other people that were preaching Christ in the town he was in, and they're stirring up trouble for him. Do you know what's... When I see stirring up trouble, and I'm reading a little bit more than this here, but think about it. Stirring up trouble means I think those preachers of Christ may have had a hand in having him land in prison. They've stirred up trouble. What else would stir up trouble mean? Right? You guys, if anybody had a reason to complain about his circumstances, it's Paul. As he writes this letter to this church, he could have complained and said, Somebody get up here and do something about this rogue church that is causing me problems. I mean, they're preaching Christ, but obviously they're messed up because they got me landed in jail. Come up here to Ephesus and start knocking some heads. Right? Because the Lutheran church has got me in Todd County Jail, you better go talk to them. You guys, that's what's happening here. Do you see this? Would you be like stinking a dog, attacking the Lutherans if they got me stuck in jail? Think about it. That's what's happening. I don't know how many times you've read Philippians, but I bet you've never thought about it like that. That's what's going on. But look what Paul says next. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. What? What? Are you talking about it? Paul? Why aren't you complaining about your circumstances? And why aren't you complaining about the Lutherans? Those pesky Lutherans. You should let's go get them. Let's go, let's go graffiti their church building. Of course that's not what we're supposed to do. Right? There are brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this case, I'm not talking about the Lutheran church, okay? In this case, they're preaching from false motives. But Christ is still being preached. And for Paul, that's the only thing that matters. Is Christ being preached even from false motives? Like these televangelists that are preaching wealth and health gospel that bothers me to death, but they're still preaching Christ. I disagree with much of their theology, but they're preaching Christ, and people are coming to know Christ. Praise God! Praise God! Do you understand? Paul's in prison, and by the way, we're going to find out in a moment, he's in prison waiting a decision about whether he's going to be released or be executed. That's what he's waiting in prison for. And of course, remember what I read last week in Acts. Only a few weeks before this, or maybe a few months before this, Paul was in prison in Philippi. Remember? And the angels sprung the door open, and that's why the jailer became a Christian. The jailer is probably sitting there listening to this letter be read. 
The jailer who's gonna gonna commit suicide is probably listening to this letter be read because he's a part of the Philippian church. Think about that. The jailer's like, well, there's probably gonna be an angel here somewhere. Paul doesn't say, I think there's gonna be an angel. You guys, do you recognize the depth of what's happening when you realize who this letter is written to and why it's written? And these, these other Christians purposely stirring up trouble against Paul. He's got every reason to be cranky, every reason to complain. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. It's so weird. And then he says, and I will rejoice. Now I said this last week real quick, but I'm going to say it again. If the word joy is a noun, okay, person, place, or thing, joy is a noun. If you wanted to take, there are nouns that you can turn into verbs. Did you know that? Right? There are nouns you can turn into verbs. Joy is a noun you can turn into a verb. So you can take the person, place, or thing that is the word joy, and you can turn it into the action word that is joy. And the action word that is joy is rejoice. Rejoice is the verb version of the noun joy. So when you rejoice, you are acting upon the joy that is in your heart. That is what it means to rejoice. I'm in search of joy. Are you in search of joy? Here's Paul, sitting in prison, not knowing what tomorrow will bring, life or death. And while he's sitting there... Other preachers are out in the community stirring up trouble for him. And they are happy that he is sitting in prison. And Paul's reaction is the action word for joy. How could this be? Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. And now... We hear that not only does Paul not know what tomorrow will bring, he doesn't know if it will bring life or death. And it's okay. It's okay. I mean, I like you all, but I, I can, especially what we've just been through and, and the place where I'm at, I like you all, and this is not a suicidal statement, so don't get me wrong. I like you all, but I would rather be with Jesus now. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be done. Like, I, if we want to pray for Jesus to come back, let's do it. I mean, I'm, let's go for it. I'm, poke me with a fork. I'm done. Right? And that's where Paul was at. And it's okay to be that way. And then I think to myself, 
And what of the people in my life that I love that don't know Christ? What about the people in my life that need to grow closer to Christ? What about these people I've been called to shepherd? Okay, God, I'll stick around a little more. Because I love you guys. I love these people in my life that don't know Christ, and I want them to know Him. Okay, I'll stick around a little more. But if you want to take me, bam, I put me on the bus. Remember Paul's prayer from just a second ago? And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. If you're if I'm gonna pray that for you, I probably need to be a part of that. <laughs> I'm teaching you, encouraging you, edifying you, and you edifying me and teaching me. Like that it goes both ways. And he is torn between the two. Man. You know, Jesus said the same thing. I mean, Paul is literally living out what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can, be, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? I think our whole country, and maybe the whole planet... I think, is doing everything that they can to save their life and to find happiness. In the process, they are losing everything. I think that's, that's our whole world. You want to find your life? You want to find salvation? You want to find meaning? You want to find purpose? You want to find joy? Stop chasing. Start submitting. Last week we learned that humbleness is the first step to finding joy. Another way of saying this is humbleness, Christian humbleness, brings joy. So what have we learned from Paul today about joy? Well, I believe we've learned one thing that does not bring joy and two things that do bring joy. First, we have learned from Paul that his circumstances do not bring joy. Prison, fellow preachers of Christ speaking against him, the possibility of death, really bad prison food. You know what those things are? Those are circumstances. This is the if like the entire country of America could just learn this like ethical platitude. You will not find joy because your circumstances get better. You will not lose joy because your circumstances get worse. Joy and circumstances are not connected. Happiness is connected to circumstances. But happiness is fleeting, comes and goes. And it's in our it's in our very constitutional documents, isn't it? The pursuit of happiness. That's the goal. So we have been led. The pursuit of happiness is not the goal. Joy. 
is the goal. And joy is not connected to circumstances. So that's what joy is not. Joy is not connected to circumstances. So what have we learned from Paul in this letter? That joy is? Christians partnering together brings joy. And number two, advancing the gospel brings joy. Even if that advancement means your death. Can you believe that? Joy can be found by advancing the gospel because of your death. Wow. What? That's not American. <laughs> Put them all together and then we're done. Humbleness brings joy. It's a start. Christians partnering together for the furtherment of the good news brings joy. And the very further or advancement of the gospel brings joy. This is what we have learned from a man who writes a letter to a church he loves from prison. I hope you will continue with me as we search after joy. And when we find joy, you can't help except turn the noun into a verb. And we will rejoice. May it be so in this place. Let's search for joy together. Thank you, Jesus. That this letter from prison, this letter from Paul that you inspired him to write, that you have preserved this in such a way that we can be built up and we can be restored. God, as David prayed, restore to us the joy of our salvation. And the restoration process is all, oftentimes costly and it's difficult, it requires energy, it requires work. Lord, may we be willing to put the elbow grease in to rediscover our joy and to rejoice. In Jesus' name.